we baptized 16 people last Sunday. Let's get, let's, get, let's get a little rowdy over that. That's worth it, isn't it? I love it. I love it. In eight to 10 foot swells. I am 300 pounds and decisively top heavy. And I, I had a, I'm not, I'm not lying. I had a rogue wave that hit me. Uh, and uh, and we, I mean, I mean, we had some like like little folks that were getting. In. We had folks that were almost getting baptized before they even like we even like put them back. We're like, no, no, no. We got to ask you a question first, right? Who's your Lord and Savior? And kids were coming out and getting hit by, by waves. One one actually knocked me to my knees. Almost lost my sunglasses. I would lose my sunglasses every day of the week and twice on Sunday if we can baptize people again. And so that and that's the beauty, guys. Y'all, guys, we're in an interim time. Like like a lot of churches. 80% of, church, of Southern Baptist churches don't baptize anybody in a given year. In an interim time, you're baptizing 16. That's awesome. All right? All right, there's no reason not to get rowdy over that. All right? I just hope the next time we do it, we have a flat day. All right. Uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to Acts chapter 1 this morning. We'll be in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2. Um, I cannot preach this passage. This is one of my favorite passages uh, in all of the Bible. And, uh, and I can't preach it without preaching uh, out of Acts chapter 1, 2. I, I want to I give you a little bit of context. We're going to spend the next uh, several weeks uh, in, in both... Um, uh, Acts and uh, some of the Pauline epistles. And so I want to spend some time talking about, about this, this concept of togetherness. Before, before we move on, okay, before we get started, can, can we all just admit, and, and I mean, let's just be real honest, online folks, you're going to raise your hand, and that's cool, you're in your living room, you're doing whatever you're doing, that's great, and we're so glad that, that you've joined us this morning. Um, but I'm going to ask, can, can we just all be honest with each other and say that we're all kind of a little bit of a mess? Like, like, like life, like life ain't always hunky dory all the time. You're not always on the mountaintop. It doesn't matter what Instagram wants to tell you. It doesn't matter what, what your friends on Facebook want to show you, you know, when you have the perfectly placed coffee cup and, and, you know, and, and it's like, I'm enjoying my morning routine, my morning worship with Jesus. You've got your Bible open and your coffee cup right there. And you got kind of the blurry background and just, just out of the view of your, uh, of your perfectly placed social media captured image is laundry that has piled up for three weeks that you don't want people to see, all right? Because you want them, because what is social media, all right? Social media is how we lie to everybody else, all right? It is how we say our lives are hunky-dory because, because very rarely are we going to, and, and some folks do this, some folks, you know, live through social media, but as a rule, I generally don't get on social media and say, let me tell you about the awful day I've had. Now, some people do that. All right. But most of us, we don't, I, can, I, can I be real with you? I don't want you to know that there are days that my life is a mess. The thought of doing the Christian life alone is super scary. Knowing that there are more people, knowing that, that, that I'm going to worship uh, alongside several hundred people who, whose lives on some level at any given time are just as much of a train wreck as mine is, actually gives me a little bit of comfort. So the next several weeks, we're going to talk about this idea of togetherness as we look at, 
at, uh, as Paul is writing, or, uh, I'm sorry, as Luke is writing uh, this, this beautiful letter. And, and, and the, the Acts is actually a continuation of the gospel of Luke. Luke is writing to this, this uh, guy named Theophilus who we don't know. We don't know exactly uh, who Theophilus is or what he did. There are several people in church history uh, that were named Theophilus, but we don't really know. Uh, Theophilus in the Greek literally means uh, a, uh, to be loved or loved by God. So it could be a concept. It could be a people. It could be an actual person. We don't know. It doesn't matter. But the, the acts of the apostles is, is just a continuation of the gospel of Luke. It's not a, a simply a story about the local church. I think sometimes we, we dumb it down to kind of say, well, it's, it's just how the local church began. It's, it's not. Um, while we see where Paul plants churches all throughout Acts, uh, one thing we don't see we don't see what the very end looks like. Acts kind of, if you go to the end, uh, if you go to Romans and, and flip back a page, Acts ends kind of abruptly. I think there's, there's a reason for that. Because the story that we read in Acts is not the story of the local church. It is the story of the mission of the local church. That in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, says that, that you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Literally, the, the Greek word there is the Greek word martyreo, you will be my martyrs. And here in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then you know what happens? Jesus is gone. He leaves, but he leaves them with a mission. And the story of Acts is a story of the mission of the local church. And, and here's why I think, I think that Acts ends so abruptly, that we don't see the end. You don't see the end of Acts until 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. When, when Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, and, and he says that there's coming a day, right? He says, brothers, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep because Jesus died and rose again. So too, when Jesus comes, we who have died will go to be with him and then we will all be together. He's coming on the cloud, shout of the archangel, blast of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so Paul says, encourage one another with these words. The ending of Acts is not the ending of Acts. The ending of Acts is when Jesus comes to collect the local church. We are a part of this story. And it should find, we should find encouragement in the fact that we are a part of the story that God's writing. We're not part of the canonical story that you read uh, the first century church, but we are the 21st century church, which is the same as the first century church. So to accurately filter, uh, to see the meaning of Acts, we must filter this book through three different measures. One is good doctrine. All right? You're, and we spent the last several weeks in Romans looking at good doctrine. You have to look at it through world history. Because remember, the story of Acts is not the story of the local church. It's the story of the mission of the local church. And what is the mission of the local church? It is the great... Commission, right? The mission is the great commission. And is the great commission only for the church? No. Why? Because the world is the recipient of God's grace. And when the church goes and shares God's grace, people are gloriously, magnificently, wonderfully, supernaturally saved. So it's not just a matter of good doctrine. And you're going to see that in the first couple of verses. 
It's not just a, a, an issue of world history. Because let me tell you what happened when Jesus steps out of heaven and was, was born into, uh, into a broken world. World history became a part of the story of the mission of the local church. But also we need to look at Luke's context for writing to Theophilus. That there's coming a day when Jesus will come back and Luke wants people to understand what that's going to look like. Now church, here's the thing. The same power that the local church had that they received when, when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2 is the exact same power that saves people today. The 16 people that were baptized last Sunday were saved not because, not because the preaching is great, not because the life groups are stellar, not because the mission ministries that, that we do are fantastic. They are saved because God, God invades their heart and, and shows them the depth of their sin, but the even greater depth of his grace. And they are saved wonderfully, gloriously, magnificently, supernaturally saved out of their sin. So as we read together, we look at, at today, we're going to look at this idea of togetherness being the antidote to our loneliness. Thank goodness, right? I wake up knowing that just because other people are dealing with some of the same struggles that I deal with, that I might actually be able to, to make it. That we have something we can commiserate over. But Paul, or I'm sorry, uh, Luke writes to Theophilus. He said, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began uh, to do and to teach. Right? The first book. Right? The first letter that he wrote. Right? The Gospel of Luke was all about the things that, that Jesus did and that he taught. Uh, verse 2, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The book of Acts covers roughly 30 years from, from what we believe to be 33 A.D. to 64 A.D. One generation. All right? It covers roughly one generation. And look at what happened from the time that Jesus came, that Jesus began his ministry, to the end of Acts and the planning of all these churches all through Asia Minor. As Paul begins to, to make his way uh, west, wanting to get to Spain so badly, never making it, but he did make it to Rome. We, we see all the churches that he planted along the way. The, the, the breakout of, of salvations that we saw in uh, Acts chapter 2, when Peter gets up and preaches a simple sermon. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. And all these people got saved. One generation. Can you, do you actually believe? Let me ask you, do you believe that God can, can uh, just bestow revival uh, at Fort Caroline Baptist Church? Do you believe that one generation is all that it takes to see a complete turnaround of the lostness and depravity that, that our world has? That if, if people will only know and trust and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that there could be a complete change in the moral uh, decay of our country, of our world. Do you believe it? Yes. And why don't we live it? The difference in the first century church and the 21st century church is they actually believed the sermon that Peter preached. Church, if we, if we believed it, with the technology that we have, with the means that we have, everybody, all 8 billion people on this planet can hear the gospel if the church will only recognize its mission and rise up and complete it. But there's, there must be 
a pairing, a meshing of the words that we proclaim and the deeds that we do. Some things in this world don't go together. I learned that this week. Um, I was hungry. Imagine that. Every sermon I've preached to you involves food in some way or another. Um, and so I was going, I, I, when I go and I do sermon prep during the week, uh, I generally try to get out of my house. I try to get out of the office. I try to get out of, of Green Cove and I, I'll, I'll go hole up in this one little place uh, where I can kind of be anonymous. I can put my AirPods in uh, and I can just sort of like sit over in the corner somewhere uh, and I can just have my iPad open, have my commentaries with me. Um, and, and so on the way uh, to this place, uh, I, uh, I got hungry. And so I stopped at, uh, I, 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 and sometimes I have a certain hunger and, and this particular day was for tacos. Uh, and so uh, I, I, was on, I was on Roosevelt, uh, right, um, right at the old Roosevelt Mall, and there is a, there's a Taco Bell that's there. Yeah, amen, right? Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. All right, you know. All right. Uh, I didn't realize, so I get up there and I, and I order, and I'm looking at the menu, and, and on this particular menu, one side of the menu was tacos, which is where I wanted to go. The other side of the menu was Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I thought, why do they have fried chicken and tacos in the same place? And so I thought, okay. So I ordered my three, my three hard chilled tacos, uh, crunchy tacos, no tomatoes with hot sauce. And I pull around to the side. It's going to be $8.93. I pull around to the side. And do you know the weird, like, kind of, kind of, of wang that was coming out of, the, uh, out of that building? It smelled like tacos and fried chicken. Some things in this world, I learned that day, some fried chicken and tacos do not go together. I love fried chicken. I love tacos. I don't love the same smells coming at me at the same time. Some things in this world just don't go together. Some things do. Our words and our deeds are two of those things. The gospel we proclaim must match the lives that we live because if they don't, an unbelieving world is going to figure it out. Jesus was all about, we see in verse 1, Jesus was all about teaching and doing. What did he say in the Great Commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to what? To obey. Words and deeds must go together. And he left the church with the same ministry of teaching and of doing so that others may see our good works and glorify, not us, but glorify the Father who is in heaven. Part of the doings of ministry involves doing life together. Church, community is so important in a world that wants to tear us apart. We must have a safe place, a haven, if you will, where we can come and we can come together and we can encourage one another and rally not around the Florida Gators, not around the Jacksonville Jaguars, of which I am both fans, okay? Not around, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, around uh, what kind of music we like or what kind of hobbies we have together. When we come into this place, the tie that binds us is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Today's passage in the end of chapter 2 takes place right after 
Peter gets up and preaches this sermon. And when he preaches this sermon, we see that 3,000 are saved on that, on that day. Let me give you a tidbit. They never chronicled women and children in whatever um, uh, numbers you see. So the feeding of the 5,000 was 5,000 men. There were women and children there that weren't chronicled. 3,000, the day that Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. Can you imagine if revival broke out here and 3,000 people got saved? Matt, where would we seat them? Hey, we'll figure it out, right? I mean, there aren't very many seats left in this place this morning. It's, it's a pretty big crowd. We're glad to have you. But if revival breaks out, we got to find out where to park them. we got to figure out where to put them. There aren't enough rooms on this campus to have life groups for 3,000 people when revival breaks out. But this was a problem. That it was, and look, good problems are still problems. But they figured it out. Peter preached, they responded, and the church was born. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and we see how they handled it. Peter says, amen. They fill out a bunch of connect cards. I don't think they, they were able to go and, and do an online connect card at that point in, in world history. So they're trying to just figure it all out. There's a bunch of people that got saved, several thousand people, however many that turned out to be. And look at what the, the very first thing they did. Verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There is a common uh, tie in this. And it is the idea of togetherness. Everything they did, they did together. Devotion. They were devoted to the cause. They were so consumed by the mission that, that they knew, they knew that what they were a part of was bigger than they were, and they were devoted to the cause. You didn't see a gimmick. You didn't see a cool slogan. You didn't see matching t-shirts. You didn't see an iPad giveaway for all who came to Jesus on that day. You know why, church? And there's churches that do that around town. They will, you know, for the person that brings the most guests, you'll win an iPad. We're not going to do that at Fort Caroline. You know why? Because what you win people with is what you will keep them with. When you win people with the gospel of Jesus, then you keep them with the gospel of Jesus. And they become devoted not to the pastor, not to the life group, not to the ministry. They become devoted to the mission. These people were devoted. But what were they devoted to? Nine things. Don't gasp. Nine things that, that they were devoted to. Number one, they were devoted to the Word of God. Notice that even though the Holy Spirit was moving, the apostles still taught about Jesus. Where? From the Scriptures. Look at, at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
Church, that's why we teach from the scriptures. That's why I don't teach from the purpose-driven life. Great book, transformative in a lot of ways, not gospel. It contains the gospel, but it is not infallible, inerrant, inspired. Church, when your life group leader teaches, if it's not grounded in scripture, find another life group. If, if a pastor, if, they parade, if the search committee parades a pastor in front of you and he, he says, let me tell you about the gospel according to Joel Osteen. Let me tell you about that no vote. The apostles taught from the scriptures because whether it's the first century or the 21st century or the 31st century, the scriptures are still enough to change the hearts of men. Verse 43 Luke mentions that these awe-inspiring signs and wonders they were doing, the signs that that they were doing weren't merely displays of power. They validated the teaching that the people had already heard from the apostles. And the Lord may choose at any moment to do a miracle. But we don't see those miracles happening very often these days. The miracle happens when somebody is saved out of their sinfulness, out of their brokenness, out of addiction, and saved to a life that is worthy of the gospel. They were devoted to the word of God, but they were also devoted to each other. Look at at the end of verse 42. It says that they were devoted to fellowship. All right, Baptist, let me tell you what that's not. All right, that ain't homecoming. That ain't fried chicken and... Potato salad. I know we want to think that when we have fellowship, we're doing a whole Acts 42 thing. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. Look at, 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 at what he, he says. He says that they were devoted to, uh, they devoted themselves to the, the, uh, the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. More than likely, that was a picture of them observing the Lord's Supper. But they did it together. And if a potluck broke out in the middle of that, remember, they sold everything they had. They lived together in a whole communal lifestyle. I love y'all, but I'm not sure I'd want to do life in a communal lifestyle with y'all. I don't know that I want to, can I be honest with you? I don't know that I want to share a bathroom with you. I don't know that you want to share a bathroom with me. Can you imagine? But they would get together and they would memorialize the teaching. They would memorialize the, the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And then a fellowship would break out. Church, that's how corporate worship should be for us. We come together, we sing about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then a party breaks out. I can't wait for level up day. I love food trucks. We're going right? to we're we're fellowship and we're going to break bread together. At the end of the month, we're going to do communion. We're going to remember, remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. But think about all of the passages in the New Testament. The one another passages. John 13, 34, I give, this I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Romans 12, verse 5, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Romans 12, 10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. 
Romans 15, 14, instruct one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, the members who would have the same concern for each other. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another through love. Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 2, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 5, 21, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. And that doesn't even scratch the surface. I don't have enough breath to do or time to do all, all of them here together today. But here's what I know this. In his book, his classic book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, it is grace, nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. Church, let's don't forget that. We're devoted to the word. We're also devoted to each other, but also the breaking of the bread. We talked about that. That's a reference to the Lord's Supper. Tony Meredith said, it's not my purpose to dive into all the arguments about the Lord's table. I simply want to point out the Christ-centered nature of this community. Church, it is the broken body and shed blood of Jesus that separates the church from every other club this world has to offer. No other club, no other, no other civic organization can bring dead people back to life. Only the church through the power of the resurrection. He said the apostles preached to the ear about Jesus. But the Lord's table preached to the eye about Jesus. But they were also devoted to prayer. Look at the end of verse 42. They prayed in the temple. They prayed in homes as they walked down the road. This is prayers is strangely plural here. Because the picture of prayer is that it's not something you do just before a meal or so that the worship team can get off the stage without you seeing them. Church, our lifestyle in community together should be grounded in prayer. That we're praying intercessory prayers for those who are sick, for those who are hurting, for those who are grieving. That we pray in intercession for those who are going to be having surgery or who are uh, dealing with a health trial. For those who have lost a baby or whose, whose uh, marriage is on the rocks. We are to be about that prayer life. Church, that is how we commune with the Holy God. The beauty of us being Protestant is that I don't need an intermediary to go to my Jesus. I can go straight to him. When the veil was torn, when Jesus died, the veil was torn from top to bottom so that I could have instant access. Family, I love you, but I am not your priest. Jesus is your priest. So let's pray with fervency, believing that somebody on the other end hears our prayers and will work them out in his perfect will. Church, this reminds us that when we gather, when we fellowship, when we break bread, when we listen to teaching, whether it's in a life group or in here, that we ground all of these things in prayer. And it reminds us, church, that a healthy church is a praying church. You cannot have a healthy church that doesn't have a healthy prayer life. The early church didn't have the earthly resources that we have, but that didn't stop them from shaking the ground the world was formed on for the gospel of Christ. Their resources weren't earthly, they were heavenly. And so are ours. 
but they were also devoted to sacrificial generosity. Luke talks about this in verse 45. He says, and they were selling all their possessions. Let me tell you what this is not. All right, this is not socialism. All right, I've, I heard someone say that, that this verse is, a, is grounds for socialism. That is not true at all. It's not a ground for capitalism either. It's, a, it's grounds for, for Christ-centered economics. That we truly believe that if, if everything above nothing is a, gift of, is a gift from God, then it all belongs to God. It does not belong to us. And that means that when we sacrificially give, and church, you've been doing a great job of that. Let's keep it going. There's still ministry to be done. Be faithful. FCBC.life. Click on the, on the giving tab. If you've never done it, do it. It's easy. The church didn't abandon the idea of owning private property. But the best and most sustainable model for sacrificial gift, uh, giving is the deep understanding and appreciation that everything above nothing belongs to to God. And that when we give, that it does things, that God takes what little we offer and multiplies it for his glory, for our good, and for the expansion of his kingdom. But also they were devoted to community. Look at verse 46. He said, and day by day, they attended the, uh, the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. You know what I love about this church? I love that you do off-campus life groups. That's fantastic. There is very little in this world. Like we kind of get into this Western model that you have Sunday school and you have church, and that's the way it's been since the first century. That's not true. There, the temple didn't have space for small groups. They had a big corporate worship gathering. And that was what happened at the temple. It was incumbent upon the church to meet together, and they went together in one another's homes. There is something to be said for attending because the purpose of the, of the large church gathering and the purpose of the small home gathering are two different purposes. And you cannot do one without the other and get everything that you need to be spiritually prepared to face this world. Which is why I love that we, we do on-campus life groups, we do off-campus life groups. But what they did, they did together as a family. The author of Hebrews says, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return approaching. So they were committed to community. They were also committed to gathering together. You know why? Because even though we're not identical, even though we're not all identical twins, how weird would that be? Even though we're not identical twins, on the inside, we still carry. Now, I, my, type, uh, my blood type is A positive. Yours may be O negative. Are you O negative? My wife is O negative. She's a universal donor. We carry the same blood, and that's the blood of Christ. That's what ties us together. So even though we don't like the same music, even though we don't have the same hobbies or anything, we can come together and still be family because we gather together. But also they gathered in a healthy spirit. The early church's gatherings contained a, the spirit of, of joy and of praise. Luke mentions in verse 43 that they were, it says, awe came upon every soul and they were doing these signs and wonders. But then down at verse 46, it says, everything they did, they did with gladful hearts. Can I, can I tell you something? Matt Chandler uh, said one time, he said, it's okay to not be okay. 
And it's okay for us to feel that way, right? It's okay for you to have a bad week. It's okay for you to have a bad day. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Part of coming into a new life with Christ doesn't mean that you don't have problems. But it means that the source that you go to to deal with those problems are rooted in Christ. And it produces a healthy spirit. Some people find it difficult to come in and to praise God, to worship when things aren't working out according to their plan. But can I remind you? I just want to gently nudge you because let me tell you, it's been a tough few months for me and for my family. And we haven't had every day, hasn't been a great day. But I, I, I want to tell you that if that's you, if that's where you're living today, life may be hard at the moment. I cannot tell you how much harder life would be if we didn't have Jesus who says, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. It would be terrible not to have Jesus and the church had that. But finally, they also shared the gospel. Here's the thing. Not everyone loved the early local church. The Pharisees didn't like it quite at all. And if you, if you don't believe me, read chapters 3 through 9. All right, they, they bring deacons on board. One of them gets killed. All of the disciples that we read about, save for John, died an early death. And John was exiled to the island of Patmos, was dipped in a tar of boiling oil, and actually survived. And when they couldn't, we figured out they couldn't kill him, they sent him to Patmos where he wrote the Revelation. Following Jesus is not easy, and people are not always going to be hunky-dory with the teachings of Scripture. Because church, the teachings of Scripture sometimes counter the teachings of the world. And that's okay. But they shared their faith anyway. We have an example of this, right? Jesus told his disciples in, in John chapter 13 uh, that, that, that when we love each other well, when we show brotherly affection towards one another, the world's going to figure it out. A few, year, a few years after Acts was written, there was a man named Aristides who commented on the reasons why Christianity spread so quickly in the early church the way it did. And he wrote to the emperor at the time in AD 125, he wrote to the emperor whose name was Hadrian. And he said, this is what he said. This is someone who, who watched what happened as an old man watched the spread of Christianity and was asked why that people were turning to Christianity in droves. This is what he said. He said, if one or, or uh, other of them have bondmen or bondwomen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to become Christians. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without distinction. They don't worship strange gods, and they go their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him in their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit and in God. And whenever one of the poor passes from the world, each of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is in prison or, or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah... All of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it's possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. 
This is someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who's not trusted him as Savior, but he watched how the church lives the mission they proclaim, and he was so moved by it, he appealed to the emperor on their behalf. What would revival look like at Fort Caroline? It would look like someone who is tired, who is broken, who is worn down, that would walk into the room and find wholeness and healing. I'm a hunter by nature. I, I love to hunt. Grew up, grew up with a shotgun in my hands. Um, I love to hunt. Someone asked me, what do you like to hunt? I'm like, sure. I like it all. Uh, I got to go and experience a South Dakota goose hunt one time where you lay in these layout blinds in the middle of a cut cornfield and thousands upon thousands of geese fly over. Y'all ever seen geese? They migrate over North Florida, right? If you go to UNF, they're all over the campus. They poop on everything. Um, have you ever seen when geese fly, they fly in a, in a V-shaped formation? When I, was, when I was laying in one of these layout blinds, I was watching, I would watch 10,000 geese at a time. And they would fly in these big V patterns. And I never understood why. So let, let me explain again, and then we're, we're going to tidy things up. We're over time. Um, they would fly in the V pattern because that would, they, you would actually have an aerodynamic advantage to flying that way. They would have someone who would, who would, who would um, what they call break the trail. The first goose in, the, in, the, uh, in the, the flight would break the trail. He would work the hardest. He was the most fresh and he would flap his wings and everybody else would fall into line and they would, it would create like a slipstream and everybody else would be able to save energy. When the lead goose, when he gets tired, when he, when he gets kind of worn down, then he would drop back and another goose would take over the lead role and the whole group would form around that goose until he got tired. And then the next one would come along and you would see they would migrate thousands and thousands of miles all the way from Canada, all the way down to South Texas. For some of you, you, can't, you walked into this place today and you're tired. The beauty of community in the local church is that you don't have to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders by yourself. The community that we share here means that if you're tired, someone will come alongside you and pray over you. If you're broken and you're hurt, you don't have to be the lead goose. You can fall back. As a matter of fact, geese, if, there is one, if there's a goose that's injured, he will be at the back of the line and several other geese would fly around him to make sure he doesn't get lost. What a picture of the local church. What a picture of what togetherness looks like. Because togetherness, church, is the antidote to loneliness. Church, the goal is, just as in a group of geese flying in a V formation, is that every believer makes it to our destination together. That's what biblical community is all about, church. Let's live biblical community together. As we break bread, we listen to the apostles' teaching, as we pray together, as we fellowship together, and we see that all who has needs are taken care of, and we do these things with glad and generous hearts. We praise God and have favor with all the people. And look at the very end of verse 47, and we'll be done. And because of their faithfulness, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved.
How much fun would it be if we offered your next pastor a church that was in three services because so many people had come to know Jesus during the interim time? We can do it, but not without his help. He is our creator and our sustainer. Let's lean into the Lord today together. Father, we love you and we praise you. As we go our separate ways today, as we go to life groups, uh, God, as we, we prepare for the week that is ahead, God, may we realize that we don't have to do this world by ourselves. That there is a Savior whose name is Jesus, who loves us and gave himself for us. That we might not have to do this life alone. Bless my family as they leave today. If we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.